You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 230, Blake Brewer and the Father's Legacy. This one will pull on your heartstrings. Welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here. Every single download is a real treasure to me, and I am glad that you're downloading and listening. If you would like to and get any benefit, if you're a regular listener especially, I'd love it if you'd go to halfwaytherepodcast.com, hit that Patreon button, and support the show. You get episodes early. You can get some other cool things there as well. Um, but really, it just would mean a lot to me to know that you're listening, that you care about the show, and that it would help, um, you know, help kind of keep the show running. We appreciate that. Um, we have a really great conversation today. Uh, our guest, he is on a mission to help a million dads write at least one well-written, meaningful lasting legacy letter to their children. Of course, there's a story there. And of course, we're going to talk about that. Our guest is Blake Brewer. Blake, welcome to Halfway There. Eric, what is going on? I'm so glad to be here. I've been looking forward to talking to you all week. I just, I love what you're doing. I appreciate everything uh, that you're about. And uh, I'm just glad to be here today. Well, thanks, brother. I really do appreciate that. And uh, this is quite the mission. Of course, we're going to talk about the story, but you're doing some pretty cool things yourself with uh, putting together some challenges and and you've got some cool people going, going, helping you out with that. Yeah, yesterday I interviewed uh, seven-time All-Star Matt Holiday. Hey. We talked to, yeah, Cardinals fan. Um, I've got my Cardinals, all my Cardinals hats. You can't see it, but right up here is all my Cardinals hats, including uh, some world champion hats because we've got the most serious <laughs> championships of all the National League teams. Well, as you know, behind every great athlete, there's a story, and they're doing things off the field, so Matt – was sharing just about being a great dad he's got Very four cool. kids and taking them on the road and so really we, that was all part of a father up challenge that we're doing and to trying to inspire and help dads connect with their uh, children at the level they need very cool very cool yeah that's that's kind of fun how did you get oh you told me that story how you got kind of in touch with him you've you've been in touch with the, them for a little while yeah, he was a special guest at a, a college student conference that we did, but really uh, his chiropractor, uh, Jason, I was connected to him because my wife led his sister-in-law to Christ. And so oh, wow. just, you, you know, go. the networking thing, man, just connection, connection, connection. That's the way to do it. That is the way to do it. I love that. Okay. Well, I want to hear about your story and uh, I know that, um, you know, we've, we've we got, there's a lot of parts to it, but I want to start with kind of just as a kid, like, did you grow up in a Christian family or what was it like and, and where, where'd you grow up? So all of my family is originally from Louisiana and, right. uh, second grade though, we moved to Allen, Texas. So I would say I grew up in Texas, but then in high school, because of my dad's job, we moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma, but yeah, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, we were at church every Sunday. We were at Wednesday night supper and, uh, you know, pretty normal f family. Uh, my dad, I had a 
uh, a really good dad. He was my football coach and baseball coach growing up. I have memories of my dad coming in before we went to bed at night and we would say our prayers and we'd pray for the firemen and the policemen. And uh, now I found out later that my dad was doing that, but it was my mom who said, Hey, Larry, I think you should go pray with the kids each night. And so, as you know, behind every great dad, there's a great mom. Yep. And so I had a great, great mom as well. Uh, and so, yeah, that was my upbringing. Yeah. So it sounds like faith was kind of always part of your, part of your journey there. How did it become yours? Well, in fourth grade, I remember, uh, my dad, uh, sat down and shared the gospel with me for, uh, it was about a week straight. I was asking all those questions and I remember him going through the scriptures with me. And then, uh, we scheduled a meet. he scheduled a meeting to go meet with our pastor and uh, we sat down with the pastor and I, I remember the pastor was asking some questions about scriptures and I, and I said, Ooh, I don't know that. And my dad said, yes, you do. We just went over them last <laughs> night. <laughs> and so I had kind of embarrassed my dad there, but I knew it was a big deal because my dad took off work. My wow. dad took off work for us to go meet with the pastor. Um, so uh, I accepted Christ then. And then I would say all the way through middle school and high school. Um, I was continuing to follow Christ. I was the guy in high school who didn't party and didn't drink, but obviously I had my inner struggles going on as well. And, you know, trying to figure some things out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, don't we all? So how did that become kind of more personal as you were growing? Like it was there, were there moments that you, you know, remember or passages or books that you read that, that kind of or mentors maybe that, that helped you kind of grow? Yeah, there was uh, definitely some different experiences that I, that I had. I remember there was a moment. Uh, so I was kind of a leader in the youth group, but I remember we were at false Creek um, oh, yeah. church camp. My kids have gone there. Oh, false Creek. Yeah. yeah. So it's a great, great uh, church camp. Senator James Langford, who's one of our senators now used to reign the camp when I went. Oh, wow. And I remember we were, it was towards the end of the worship set and my uh, youth minister who I, he, we met up on a weekly basis. He mentored me and discipled me. And he said, Hey, Blake, I just got word. Uh, James Langford needs someone to a student to pray. And he asked someone from our youth group to go pray. Uh, will you do it? And I told him no. And I, I said, I, I just can't do it. And I was scared. I was so scared, uh, to do it. And then he, you know, put him in a bind, because uh, the song was coming to an end. So then he had to go ask this girl uh, to do it. And I just remember Jacelyn up there praying. There, so there's like 5,000 people there. And I was thinking I should be there. And even as I got home, I told my dad that story when I got home from church camp. And my dad's response, I'll never forget it. He was, it was, he was disappointed. He was disappointed. He said, Blake, when you're praying, you're just, you're just talking to God. It doesn't matter how many people are in the room or not. It's just you and God talking to you and God talking. Mm. And, uh, I'll never forget that, 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 you know, my dad, I disappointed my, the disappointment I had in my dad was that I, I didn't pray. And, you know, that speaks a lot when you disappoint your dad. Yeah. Yeah. How did that shape you? Well, I, I think it shaped me because I knew that uh, as I was thinking about my life and what I wanted to live for, I knew that I wanted to take my faith serious mm -hmm. and um, 
and you know, no God. And so I think that's how it shaped me. Even as I went off to college, um, I was looking for a place to plug in spiritually and it wasn't like, Oh, now I'm, I, I'm going to escape from my parents, uh, and go live and do whatever. It's like, no, like I'd been grounded in my faith. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that I was going to need those uh, connections in my life. People around me that were also following God. Yeah. Where'd you go? Uh, I went to the university of Arkansas. So All I was right. a Razorback. Uh, <laughs> I I literally knew nothing about Arkansas and I went on a visit and it was just absolutely beautiful. It was two and a half hours from Tulsa. And I was like, Hey, this is where I'm going. There you go. The great state of Arkansas. Um, okay. So, and what did you study? Accounting. Accounting. That's, that's fun. Did you always want to be an accountant? No. No. And, and especially when I got into the classes, I was like, I definitely don't want to be an accountant. <laughs> but here you go, the power of a dad and just his guidance. My dad uh, was an accountant. Uh, he was a hospital administrator. And uh. he just told me, he said, you know, I think if you're going to go into business, accounting would be a good degree to have. You'll learn all business. Didn't doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be an accountant. So that's why I got oh, that's my accounting interesting. degree. So you, did you ever intend to be an accountant or you just thought you would? I had no idea what I was going to do when I graduated oh, college. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> wow. Did you find that group of people that helped you kind of shape you in, during college as, as a believer? Yeah, I got plugged in uh, with a church in Fayetteville that uh, my freshman year. And, but I got to tell you, I was still trying to figure out um, exactly what it was going to be like in spring semester, I started to make some decisions that, man, I was starting to get a little bit off course, to be quite honest, from the things that I knew I even wanted to live for. And I found myself starting to engage in some activities and trying to, uh, I remember at one point, I just made a decision, you know what, I'm just going to try to hang out and meet and date as many girls as I can. And, <laughs> uh, and kiss them. <laughs> and if we're being honest here. Yeah. Hey, and you're a young man. We don't have to be ashamed of that. That's all right. Yeah, That's, right. This is how it goes. <laughs> it's okay. Right. And, uh, it was right after my freshman year that when I went back home from college, May 23rd, 2003 was a moment of my life that completely changed everything about my life. And, uh, I'd be happy to share with you guys what happened because it was a defining moment in my life and it was really the worst day of my life. And I mm. hope that what I went through on that day, um, nobody else has to go through. My mom growing up always was really good about planning some vacations and we'd go to Florida and Colorado, but this year she had planned for us to go to Hawaii. And this was like our pinnacle vacation, Eric. We were so excited to get there. And I remember uh, the first morning that we were there, we put the pamphlets out on the kitchen table in our condo. And we were trying to decide what to do. And my dad, who was not necessarily a funny guy, he made us all laugh that morning because he mocked himself. As we looked at one of the pamphlets about riding mopeds, he mocked himself riding a moped. And my dad was this really large guy. He was like 6'3", 230 he played uh, college football, was drafted by the Atlanta Falcons. My dad was actually Terry Bradshaw's yeah. tight end. That's right. At, at Louisiana Tech. Yeah, caught Bradshaw's first touchdown pass. And 
So that was always a part of my story uh, growing up. I've got a great picture of my dad and Bradshaw and President Nixon uh, in the Oval Office. Uh, My dad and Bradshaw were both kind of getting drafted at the same time. And of course, Bradshaw was drafted number one by the Steelers that year. So anyway, we're back. We're in Hawaii and we're just laughing at the idea of my dad being on this moped. And we decided that we were going to go snorkeling to uh, Hanama Bay. And if you know anything about Hanama Bay, you know, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. It's so pretty. And as soon as we got there, uh, we jump in the water and we saw some beautiful uh, sea life, beautiful fish. We saw a sea turtle. And Eric, it was just, it was so surreal. I just remember it. And it was just so cool because I was just, I was out there in the water with my dad. And there's just like nothing like hanging out with your dad. And, you know, I'd just been at college for a year. And mm-hmm. so just, you know, just to come home and be with him and doing something so cool like that. And so my dad and I just kept going further and further out, looking at cooler and cooler stuff. And I found myself uh, in an area that I now know um, is, is called Witch's Brew. And the water had gotten uh, kind of treacherous and the waves had picked up and I um, remember pulling my head out of the water and I didn't see my dad. And I was thinking, where did my dad go? And at that moment, uh, I see him in the distance trying to get up on this rock out of the water. And I remember thinking, why is he getting out of trying to get out right there? Because the waves are just crashing against this rock. And sure enough, as he's out of the water halfway up this rock a wave just comes and crashes against my dad and knocks him back down in the water and I remember thinking okay I've got to go see if my dad needs help and as I was swimming towards my dad uh, I remember my dad uh, yelling for help and my dad had a really deep booming voice Mm. but this yell was more like a, a whimper And so I knew that he didn't have all of his energy. And as I continued to swim towards my dad, uh, I couldn't see him super well because of the waves, but I I was getting closer and I could see he was treading water. And then when I finally get to my dad, he is underneath the water and he's unconscious. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, uh, this is way more serious than I thought. And I put my arm around my dad and I started to swim with him and to try to get him to shore. But I knew I had a long swim ahead of me and I had to get around that rock and the waves were, you know, so big. And uh, by God's grace, after a few minutes of swimming, uh, a man showed up and uh, it was a guy that was snorkeling in the area that saw us struggling. And he took over swimming for my dad and allowed me to get to shore um, and really save myself. And it's when I get to shore that the lifeguards at that, I see them going out. They had seen us struggling. They get my dad on the surfboard and they, they pull him over to where I'm at and they start doing CPR to my dad. And I remember getting on a knee next to my dad and just praying to God, just crying out, um, God, will you please save my dad will you allow him to live put the air back in his lungs and it was like in the movies you know when you see this happening you know the water starts to kind of gurgle out of their mouth and they start to cough and they start to breathe again and i just knew that any moment that that is what was about to happen right yeah and 
my mom and my sister were on the beach laying out. They see kind of a commotion and all the lifeguards in that area. And so they thought, Hey, that's where Blake and dad were. You know, we better run down there. And as they get closer, they of course see my dad on the ground and I'll never forget my mom's face as she ran up to me. And I just through tears told my mom, I, this doesn't look good. I don't, I don't think he's going to make it. They loaded my dad in the ambulance and they took him to the hospital where they pronounced him dead. And it was so unbelievable. I was asking myself like, what the heck just happened? We went to the hospital and I just remember seeing my dad laying there in the hospital bed and he's got a swimsuit on, of course, and no shirt. And it just looked like he was just sleeping there. And we had just been snorkeling and swimming and literally having one of the best days of my life. And now he's laying here in the hospital and he had breathed his last breath. And I am like, what in the world just happened? We went back to the condo and I'm just, I remember I was in the back bedroom of the condo and I am just asking the questions like, if there is a God, how did God just allow this to happen? Maybe there isn't a God. Like, I, And even if there is a God, do I even want to follow that God, uh, a God that would allow this to happen? And it was literally at that moment that my mom walked into the room and she said, I found this in your dad's suitcase. And it's a letter that he has been working on for the last couple of months he just finished it before the trip and he was going to give it to you on this trip and so she hands me this letter and it was unbelievable that God allowed my dad to write this letter my dad had never written a letter to us before um, he obviously didn't know that he was about to die and so I am basically reading my dad's last words to me in this letter wow. and this letter is basically a letter of encouragement and he is encouraging me to persevere through through trials he's encouraging me to have courage he's encouraging me to study the scriptures and know them for myself i remember there was a line where he said preachers and teachers and evangelists they're great and we can we should thank god for them but you need to know the scriptures for yourself and you need to know so that you can determine if some, what someone is teaching you is correct or not. And you want to live your life by God's word. And the last line of this letter, um, man, I'll never, never forget. I mean, I'll never forget any parts of this letter, but the last line said here on earth, you might be in the minority for your faith, but I assure you in heaven, you'll be in the majority. Love your dear old dad in Christ Jesus. And so that letter was absolutely unbelievable, especially at the, the moments that I was reading it. And it really gave me a, a peace about the entire situation. Didn't mean that I didn't miss my dad. And, and for at least the next year, I was mourning and grieving, but it allowed me to just have an attitude of, of gratitude for one. I knew where my dad was and I started, started saying, you know, if God presented this question, to my dad, Hey, do you want to go back to earth? 
my dad would say, heck no, I'm just going to stay up here and, and wait on them. And cause I knew, I know how good heaven is. And then I began to just thank God for um, the time that I had a good dad. So many people don't even have a dad or have a good dad. I had a good dad for 19 years of my life. God never promised that my dad was going to live to be 70, 80, 90 years old. So I can just be grateful that my dad lived 54 years. Well, Um, so that's the kind of thing though, that you came, you probably come to over time, right? That's not, I'm sure your first, your first impression, right? So you had to go through that grief process and I imagine you had to walk through that with God. Like, how did that, you mentioned you were early on right away, you were kind of questioning God. How'd that develop with the Lord as you went through grief? Well, it's hard to remember exactly. Well, that's okay. Give me, ago, that's okay. But, give, me, give me the impression. Give me general. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I, you know, anyone who's grieved knows that you know, there's different, periods that you go through and at first you know it's just disbelief and it took it took a while for it to really settle in we saw the, the funeral to go through and um everything like that but uh you know i was still asking the questions of you know why did this happen um and i feel it's completely appropriate to ask god um those types of questions and really i was at a place and i think it's because of the letter there's no other way i i don't think i would have been there so quickly but I was asking it out of kind of like, okay, I trust you, God, and I know that you're in control here, but that doesn't mean I understand why yeah. this happened. And I, I would like to know why. <laughs> and, um, you know, it began to, so then that happened in May and I got back to college uh, in August at Arkansas. And within the first week, I meet a guy at the cafeteria table. He worked for a college ministry. And I shared that story with him and man, I was ready. Like I was wanting to live for eternal things. And so Mm. he invited me to be in this Bible study. And in this Bible study, we read a book by Steve Shadrach. It's called Fuel in the Flame. I recommend this book for any Christian going into college, Fuel in the Flame, 10 Ways to Ignite Your Campus for Jesus Christ. And in this book, it talked about sharing your faith and I got to be honest, Eric, even though I knew I wanted to do it, I believed in it, man, I was scared to death to do it. But what was amazing is, is Sean, who was leading this, this book study, uh, we didn't just talk about it. One day he goes, Blake, how are you doing? Like, do you believe that we should share our faith? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, well, how are you doing about that? And I'm like, well, not that good. He said, well, what if we go down the hall right now and share with, uh, with Malcolm at the end of the hall? <laughs> And there's, I absolutely did not want to go do it, but I just told him that we should be doing it. And so we went down there and I thought I wasn't going to have to say anything, but of course, uh, Sean, my mentor halfway through this gospel's presentation says, Blake, why don't you share your testimony and your story? And that was the first time that I uh, had engaged personally in sharing the gospel, but also got to share my dad's story for the first time in a setting like that. And I walked away from that 30 minutes saying that was unbelievable. I was scared out of my mind, but I just talked to a guy about where he's going to spend eternity. I could have been playing basketball or studying. I probably wouldn't have been studying, but I could have been. And that was unbelievable to talk to someone about that. And so I think for me, uh, getting through that time, it turned, yes, there's these, those periods where it was just me and the Lord and would be 
you know, I'd be crying at night thinking about my dad and I had to work through all that, but also it was so healing for me to start to minister to other people and talk to other people and uh, allow God to work through me that way. Yeah. Well, so am I hearing this right? So it sounds like through all this kind of, um, you know, obviously tragic circumstances, your dad dies, you kind of started to find yourself and kind of, kind of who you were. Were you always an evangelist or did you think you would be an evangelist? <laughs> well, you know, I do, looking back, I do think, mm. you know, even in junior high and high school, uh, I would ask people, hey, so what church do you go to? And I would have, like, have those types of questions on my mind. And one time a friend told me, like, why do you always ask people those kind of questions? <laughs> and uh, and so I think it was there. And then it was my dad's death and the letter that he wrote me that really, like, pushed me forward. And I doesn't, I was still really scared. I, I really was. I had a lot of fear around it, but I knew that I had to push forward. And really, I mean, I just had, every time I would feel scared, I would just think I would go back to my dad and uh, the things he wrote in the letter. And it was like this courage coming from my dad saying, no, keep doing it, do the hard things. Um, it'll be worth it. Uh, and so I spent the next three and a half years of my college, like purposely living on campus, trying to, uh, minister to guys and help other guys grow spiritually. And then when I graduated college, they asked me to come on staff with this campus ministry. And at first I was like, heck no, I'm, I'm doing business. Right. And I knew that I really wanted to, to live for eternal things. And I knew deep down, it's like, I, I do think God is calling me to do this. And I had some fear kind of around that mm. um, because that wasn't initially what I was set out to do. Right. Um, you know, it wasn't my plan, but it was God's plan. And so finally I yielded to that Yeah, and, and did it. So you went into campus ministry? Yeah, I was at University of Arkansas for a little bit and then spent seven years uh, launching a ministry at Missouri State in Springfield, Missouri. They, they need was, Jesus in Missouri. Oh, <laughs> they, they definitely do. I'm uh, in St. Louis for sure. <laughs> I grew up in Iowa, so I can say that. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a joke, but there was actually a lot of people. Uh, no, no doubt. In, yeah. in, in Missouri. And even it was actually pretty neat doing ministry in Missouri versus Arkansas. In Arkansas, there was a bunch of small town kids who all grew up in church. So every time I shared the gospel with them, I was like, oh, yeah, I've, I've made that decision. Like everybody's walked the aisle down there. And so I'd actually have to convince them that they weren't a believer. So then I could share the gospel with them. But then in, in Missouri, uh, there was a lot of Kansas City kids and St. Louis kids uh, coming to school at Missouri state and they didn't know the gospel. And so it was really refreshing when I would share with them and they didn't even have any shame about it. Like they knew I was the minister guy, but they didn't even know what that meant because they didn't grow up in church. They weren't even embarrassed to say wow. that they didn't know the gospel or didn't. So they were just like a sponge, like, Hey, I, I've never heard this. Teach me more. Which is cool. Right? Like that, that's oh, great yeah. for you. Yeah. And I got to tell you, one of the coolest thing experiences was, the next, um, well, every summer we would take students down to uh, Destin, Florida for a nine-week project. Uh, we'd take like 100 students that get a job and they were growing spiritually. But towards the end of the summer, there'd always be a lot of students who had come to faith because we, we took a lot of um, people that uh, weren't Christians yet, but were asking lots of questions, wanted to grow, and they'd come to faith and they'd want to get baptized. And 
it's like, well, where are we going to go baptize these people? Well, here's the Gulf of Mexico right here, the ocean. I know it's the Gulf, but it's, it's the ocean. So then we would go out into the Gulf and start baptizing the students, which in, in itself, baptism is amazing. But for me, knowing yeah. every time I went out of that water, I would think about how my dad died in this water and it lost his life there. But here I am baptizing people and celebrating their new life in God in the same water. And man, it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. That's powerful. That's amazing. Um, wow. Okay. So yeah, it's, that's interesting. So through, through all of that, you kind of found, found your, your, it sounds to me like you probably were an evangelist always. And that the, that this is sort of catalyzed the, the opportunity and gave you that sort of inner, confidence in what God's, what God's doing, um, to share it and, and kind of make disciples in that way. Yeah, I think you're pretty right on when you say that. <laughs> Very good. Well, that's good. Yeah. Cause it, yeah. All right. Um, awesome. Well, so, uh, that, so you said you did that for seven years. When did you, what did you, where'd you go from there? Well, so a couple years ago, I knew that we were probably done um, just where my family was and everything in life that we were going to move on. And I was ready to make a, a career change. And I didn't know if I was going to go back in to, into doing a business or starting a business. And I just realized as this story of my dad uh, was so impactful to people when I told the story. And now that I'm a father, uh, I'm realizing the value of a father and his voice and connecting with children. I also see how hard it is for for dads to connect with their children. And I realized that if every dad wrote a letter, like my dad wrote a letter to me, how unbelievable that would be for for everybody and for the children. So uh, I, I started a mission, uh, I started on a new mission to help a million dads write a legacy wow. letter to their children. How did you, so where, where'd that come from to be like, okay, yes, this is something cool my dad did, but how, but every dad should do that. Like where, where did you get that idea? I was actually sitting at a a men's conference and one of the speakers, uh, his name is Pete Vargas was sharing, uh, how he received a letter from his dad and it impacted him. And it just kind of dawned on me in that exact moment, like, Hey, I have this story about my dad sharing or writing a letter to me and more dads need to do that. And it just, it's like, it's like almost like God spoke to me and planted this idea in my head. Like you need to go help dads write a letter to their children. And I kind of honestly put it aside. I didn't immediately start to go do it. Um, I had some other things going on and then I shared this idea with uh, another mentor and I told him, I said, man, once I really get things going and more settled, I'm going to help dad. I really want to help dads write a letter to their children. Uh, and I told him this, he didn't, I just met this guy and I, he didn't know the story of my dad. And he kind of looked at me with a tear in his eye. He said, on a scale of one to 10, I'm like a one on empathy and compassion. And your story just brought me to tears. And I did not know why God brought us together, but now I know I'm supposed to tell you to go tell that story and help dads write this letter because nobody else has this story. Like you are the yeah. one that can help dads do this. And so as soon as he told me that, it's like, you're exactly right. Like, what am I doing? And so from that day forward, I was like, I'm going to go not just inspire dads to write the letter, 
because what I've realized, no dad disagrees with this idea of writing a legacy. Right. <laughs> like they see the value in it. But over the years, as I've shared it, and dads have told me that most dads, almost every dad does not actually end up writing the letter. And so there's a lot of good reasons for that. You know, I think we, you know, life happens and you get busy and you're, it's kind of also overwhelming to think about. And you, maybe you've never written a letter like this. What am I going to put in it? And so we created a, a online course where we help dads each month. Uh, we start and help dads go through the whole process of writing the letter. And so the value in this, the legacy letter challenge is one, we help dads actually finish the letter. Uh, which they can rest easy knowing I might mean, just help some dads finish their letters. And man, these guys just feel so amazing that they wow. have this letter done. They're so proud of their letter. I can't wait to give it to the children. And then the second thing is, is I help dads think through the elements that need to be in the letter to have maximum impact. I've had several friends over the years receive a letter from their dads and man, kudos to their dad for writing a letter, but their letter just didn't have quite the impact it could have because they didn't put all of the elements that and, and things in there that their children really needed to hear. Wow. And then I've, I've had another friend who received a letter from his dad and his dad tried to apologize for some things. Uh, but it was a horrible apology <laughs> and had a lot of butts in there. And his, my friend couldn't get past that. Um, and so he didn't even get to the rest of the part of the letter. And so that's one of the things I help dads mm. do is express their apologies and regrets. And man, it's so powerful when a dad wow. does that. Yeah. So I can see a couple of things. First of all, I don't even know where you start with something like that. Like where, where do you, where do you get, where do you get going? You know, what would I say? Well, Eric, I can help you do that. I can help <laughs> I you like think you through can. all those things. Right. <laughs> exactly. So what, what, where do you tell people to start? Well, you know, each week we go through a different section of the letter and we have a prep course that I actually have all the dads go through to before we start writing. And so there's a lot of the work is done beforehand because I tell these dads, hey, when you hand your children a letter that you have been working on for over a month, like it's going to carry some weight to it, which is what you want. Like you want, this is, you yeah. know, you want this letter to carry some weight, but you don't want to just haphazardly, you know, just put some thoughts down. Like you want to really, um, you know, think through it and, you know, get all your ideas together. I help dads think through their mission and their values for their family. I help dads think through their own father wound. Um, mm. One of the exercises that we do is uh, we, we, the dads write a letter to themselves that their father never wrote them. It's really powerful. Wow. And then we get started on the letter and uh, we help dads think through the memories that they want to share with. And, you know, there's probably hundreds or thousands of memories you can think of, but if you're, you're only going to put a couple of memories into a letter, you want the memories that you share with your children to serve them in a really powerful way. And they can. So I help dads think through that. I help dads, Make sure they get the three elements that every child needs to hear that I love you, I'm proud of you, I believe in you. Uh, man, when a, when a child of any age, I'm talking if you're right. 50 years old or you're two years old, you hear your dad say, I love you. You hear your dad say, I'm proud of you. I mean, there's, there's no one else on the planet that can say those things with the same power as a father. Like Eric, I can tell you, man, great job with their podcast and you're helping so many people, man. I'm so proud of you. And you're like, well, Blake, thank you. <laughs> man, Eric, if your dad says it to you, man, I'm proud of you. Right. Oh my goodness. It is 
it's like nothing else. It's a whole different game, right? It's a whole different thing. And it doesn't matter how old you are, which is so weird. I think, you know, as, as an adult, I'm like, wow, I should, I should not need that, but that's not true. Right. We really do need that. Yeah. I was talking, I met a dad a couple of years ago at Panera and uh, we just started talking. We hit it off. This guy was retired. He had been a CEO of a company. He told me the neighborhood he lived in very successful. And I don't know how we got this here in the conversation, but he said, I'm still living to make my dad proud of me. And his dad had died 20 years beforehand. Wow. And so, uh, you know, we all have that in us where we want to make our dads proud of us. It's just kind of innate there. And so I tell dads, hey, don't let your children trying to, you know, pursue success in all these areas of life uh, and, and things that are never going to find them fulfillment. And the whole thing is just to to make you proud, let's tell them right now that you're proud of them and not for their achievements or not for what they've done, but for just who they are. You're proud of them just for who they are and their character. That's really what your children need to hear. You know what I love about that is just how deeply giving that message to dads and and when dads do that kind of action, it reflects the father's love, right? It reflects God, the father, and the way that he loves us unconditionally and and not for anything we have to do. We just have to respond to his love. Man, you're exactly right. That is our ultimate example. And that's what fathers do. That's what this letter does. It's ultimately pointing us to our heavenly father. And it's our job as a father to pursue our children. I know there's times where it feels like our children don't want to listen to us. Um, Dad, I don't need you. I don't want you. But man, every child deep down wants their father to listen, you know, to speak to him. My two-year-old son, I'll go into the room and he'll like go run in the corner and say, dad, leave me alone. And he's only mm-hmm. two. Yeah. And so every, there's everything in me. My flesh wants to say, okay, fine. Uh, you know, if you don't want me, then I'm just going to go in here. But everything you talked about, what's, what did God do for us? I turned my back on God all the time. And yet he still loved me enough to send Jesus to come down the cross for me. And so he's the ultimate example of, of a father pursuing uh, his child. Absolutely. That right there is the gospel, I think. Right. Exactly. hundred percent. Wow. Okay. Well, that sounds like a, a really amazing, certainly message and kind of way to, to change the world. So um, you're on a mission to help a million dads. How many do you have? Well, uh, we're just getting started, so we're not that far into go. it yet. So you got, um, so, so, so it, de- it depends on when this is aired. Like, you know, if someone's listening a couple of years from now, you know, there might be, a might lot be bigger. different, right? Yeah, it might be different. Well, that's um, the reason I asked that question, not to not to be like, oh, okay, because it's not really about the numbers, right? Uh, but it is to in, to this point, friends. If you're listening, I, you know, maybe you're if you're a father. I know you have a father one way or another, right? You, this is a, something that you can pass on, that you can do yourself. And here's what I'm hearing from you, Blake, is just a tremendous amount of act of emotional health because your dad, I mean, that, a, an event like that, watching your dad die, like could, could break you, right? It could cripple you for a lifetime. And because yeah. of what your dad did, uh, it actually... Uh, set you up for emotional health and success in, in your life. sounds like he was a great dad also. So that didn't, doesn't hurt. Right. But um, that's, that's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about 
um, merely a letter. We're talking about changing a family tree, right? Changing wow. the direction of a family. So even if you, friends, if you, if you had a, a lousy dad, right? Or even if you had, you know, your dad wasn't there. I mean, we, we all know those stories. That's, that happens. What can you do, right? You, you can actually change your whole family um, with one action. I, I, I think that's that inspiring. I think very often about, um, well, I'll just tell you, Oz Guinness. You know who Oz Guinness is? Have you ever read any of his books? You should. He's fantastic. I will. I will. He's fantastic. He's been on the podcast a couple of times. Go check it out. The first time he was on, he told me about one of his ancestors. One of his ancestors was brought to Christ by John Wesley, right? The great, wow. the great evangelist, right? He, his family is the one who started Guinness Brewing, right? Uh, so he, um, but one of his ancestors prayed for the family for 10 generations of their family. Well, Oz Guinness is one of those people, right? And here he is, he's written books. He's written like, and some of his books have changed. The reasons podcasts exist is because I read an Oz Guinness book and I, and I had some brain, you know, some light bulbs go off. So I'm grateful to that family member. Right. So I don't think about, um, sorry, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm preaching now, but I don't think about just my own kids. Right. Think about five generations or 10 generations, a hundred years or 500 years where your family goes because you write this letter. Right. Yeah, exactly right. And we live in a time in the Western world where we've kind of lost sense of family. Yeah. But biblically, um, you know, God set it up for us to be in our family, for our identity to come through our family and through our fathers. Uh, so absolutely, um, when a person has their father speak life into them, as you mentioned earlier, they're emo- they just have so much more emotional intelligence. And as you know, the the more emotional intelligence you have, the more success you That's have right. in your life. And so the amount of emotional intelligence we have literally comes from our father. Like <laughs> he gives us more confidence than anybody else. And so I, I share it like this, Eric, if you and I were going to go down to Florida and we're going to sail to the Bahamas, you know, I'm not a sailor, but I know enough to know that even if the wind was coming against us, you there's a way to maneuver the sailboat and you go back and forth, back and forth, and you can get the wind right. And we could actually make it to the Bahamas, even though the wind is coming against us. Um, and it's the same way for someone who doesn't have a father. You can still make it through life without a father. You can have other mentors speak in your life and, you know, you figure it out. But if we we're on the sailboat and we had the perfect wind behind us, guy going towards the Bahamas, we can make it there so much faster, so much easier. We go further, faster. And it's the same way when you have a father in your life, speaking into your life, man, you just, it sets your child up for success for them to go further, faster. It's like that perfect wind in your sail. Wow. And so this is what the, the letter is. It is like throwing the perfect wind into a child's sail. Wow. Okay. And what dad doesn't want to do that, right? Well, I love that. Okay. Well, where can people find it, Blake? Yeah. If someone wants to go to legacyletterchallenge.com, they can read more about my story, read more about the process and sign up. And I would absolutely love to help any dad write this letter. I don't know, you know, people are busy, you know, I get that. But I promise you, when you get done with this letter, you are going to be so glad that you wrote this letter and you're going to be able to rest easy at night. Like, oh my gosh, like I got this letter done and your children will absolutely cherish this even after you're long gone. Yeah, absolutely. 
And again, I, I think even children, grandchildren, great grandchildren, doesn't matter how long even you live, right? They, you can still have that impact on generations. And I think that's that's even a biblical way of, of thinking about it. Man, I love that. Um, Blake, is there anything that you want to leave us with? My biggest message is that fathers do not take your job lightly. It's so easy in this culture to think that uh, you're not needed or your words don't matter, but absolutely you are the key to success to your family and your children. So invest in your children. There you go. Small, simple steps that you can do. I love that. Hey, Blake, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it, Eric. Thank you so much.